generations of history. I'm so glad that we can see the beauty of our stories told by our own. What a joyful time to see community shine. We see, we see, we see each other. 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 Hey there, beautiful people. Welcome back to We See Each Other, the podcast. I am Trayvale Anderson. And I'm Shar Jossel. Oh, come on, spirit. Come on, energy. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's a good day. It's a good day. Thank you all so much for coming back. Coming up on the show, we'll be speaking to actress Trace Lissette about her new film called Monica. It's in theaters right now. And in it, she plays the titular role, a trans woman who goes home to reconnect with her dying mother. Yes, Trayvell, they have a complicated relationship, which is not uncommon, as we know, especially when it comes to LGBTQ plus folks and their parents sometimes. That's just an Mm -hmm. unfortunate reality for some of us. And we'll also hear more stories from trans people we met at the Unique Women's Coalition and you, the listeners who responded so graciously to our questions by going to speakpipe.com slash we see each other. Oh, yes. Keep your comments, stories, your feedback, all your many thoughts coming. We love to see it. All of that is just ahead. But first, we're going to get to a topic that I talk about in the book. The chapter is called Cross-Dressed for Success. My God. Okay. And I'm attempting to have a conversation about the connections between, you know, the men in our lives who dress up as women for comedic purposes, largely. Mm hmm. And how that's connected to like the lived experiences and realities of trans women and films. I talk a lot about Medea. Yes, you do, which I love. You mentioned that your grandmother Mm -hmm. is the one who introduced you to Medea. She is. Which is, for me, an interesting highlight because Medea is the RuPaul of the church. (laughs) She is she not? Is she not? And she is. You are not wrong. She is the grand dame of the church. And it's just very interesting how... You know, your grandmother was a pastor, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's just very interesting how Medea was so uh, widely received and embraced, particularly by the black church. But do you even remember, um, there there was an era, there was a moment of Ricky Smiley... And he had yeah. a church woman character that he would do on stage, yes. right? With with the the breast, the you know, the the clothes, the outfit and everything as well. That literally just dropped in my head as you as you were speaking. But it it is interesting to to look at how and oh, she was funny too. That character church. was funny too. He was Ricky because she was ornery with it. Like she was, she was a bit more like she was toned down from Medea. <laughs> but we all knew that grumpy woman on the mother's board, on the motherboard, in the yes. church. You know that grumpy Absolutely. disciplinarian. Oh yeah. my god! Absolutely. But you know, I talk about Medea, Medea's particular place and role in my life, and the connection therein. But also about you know Martin Lawrence, right? As mm-hmm. Shanene or Big Mama, Eddie Mama Murphy, Payne. 
All of them. All yeah. of them. Right. There were so many characters um, that Martin did. So many for uh, for Martin. So many for for Jamie Foxx and Eddie Murphy. Right. Who also did it. Jamie Foxx had Wanda. Mm-hmm. Right. Eddie Murphy had all all of the clumps. All right. Of them. At minimum, Rasputia. Yeah. Um. In in Norbit. Um, the Wayans Brothers. The Wayans Brothers. Shout out to White Chicks, I guess. And Marlon um, Wayans had that one Netflix film where he played everyone. He pulled an Eddie Murphy. Yes. And he, he played did. everyone. Yeah. He did. So there's like a history, right? Particularly in 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 when we talk about like black, you know, TV, black film, um, where black men dress up as women. And one of the things I say in the book is that you know, it's not lost on me how the same jokes and commentary that are often lodged at these characters played by these, you know, cis, black, largely, if not exclusively, at least publicly identified straight Ooh. men. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> um, how those same jokes, in my experience at least, have been the exact same jokes, the exact same jabs that we as women, as trans women in films experience. Um, And I think there's an interesting connection there, as well as y'all's favorite influences on Instagram. You know, the dudes largely, you know, black, cishet men. Um, Some of them are gay, but, you know, who put on a wig for their comedic purposes. Um, and kind of traffic in this space of gender nonconformity and potential, at least perceived transness in many ways, and how that impacts the dolls and the experiences um, that the community has in real life. Yeah, it's 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 also reflective. I mean, if you want to expand the umbrella, it does affect, you know, trans and non-binary communities, but it also affects cis black women, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. particularly the darker they are. Mm-hmm. You know, it affects the public perception. And it is interesting when I sit back and think about how many black men have become millionaires. And I'm not even talking mm-hmm. about the actors you listed. I'm talking mm-hmm. specifically about influencers. The influences. That have become millionaires from, you know, getting dressed up and and playing really to these harmful stereotypes with a comedic twist um, mm-hmm. about black women. And it's also a fascinating case study that a majority of their fan base is black women, mm. you know, that are supporting these people. Mm. I have, you know, some faves. I'm not going to even lie. We all do, though, right? I have, I have two that I flock to mm-hmm. and I kind of get my LOLs with mm-hmm. and um, I don't know if I should name them. Yeah, but. if you want to, I'll I'll name one first, and okay. I'll say you know Terry Joe, um, is you know this is a black gay man. Mm-hmm. I believe he identifies as gay, and he has this character primarily on TikTok. Um, and interestingly enough, there was a recent video in which you know Terry Joe, you know, gets on TikTok with you know a lot of people, um, and this guy. Um, is playing a video game and <laughs> asks Terry, you know, if she is half and half. Hey Jay, bro, tell me why I'm on live right now. Uh, we got, we got a, a girl. Are you? Are you? Are you? Are you half and half? So you know, I think what's interesting here mm-hmm. is that like. With folks like Terry Joe, there are instances where I laugh. There are instances where I I find it just as funny as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And also, it is 
interesting to me the perceived associations, right, that these people have around this trans identity and folks not necessarily being able to decipher between the two. Yeah, I recently sense. found out that Terry Joe was a cis man. The entire time I thought mm. that this character was like a trans woman because, you know, she's pushing up the boobs mm-hmm. and stuff. And mm-hmm. and it, it, it certainly has been interesting. Um, and it's particularly with that joke we just played. Um, it's almost like, is that your quote unquote joke to laugh at? Mm. Because that all comes off for you. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. live and move about the world as a cis man. Mm-hmm. And so then when some if somebody, God forbid, were to say some mess like that to me, we gonna have a problem. Listen. Ain't okay. no LOLs coming from me. But you know, we're not a monolithic <sighs> community because some True. people would laugh at that. You Absolutely. know, and, and you know, we all have different personal politics when it comes to our personal identities. That's just just the truth mm-hmm. of the matter. Mm-hmm. And so um I, I do find it interesting. I mean, one of my favorites is Tim Bay up out of Fifth Ward, Houston. <laughs> Tim Bay, I I enjoy Tim Bay's some of their content, but it's also like Tim Bay, I believe, is heterosexual. Mm-hmm. And Tim Bay goes on comedy tours where he plays both both characters, Tim, which is the guy, and Bay, which is the, the woman. And it's interesting because the concentrated fan base of Tim Bay is in the South. Mm. And when you look at the laws on the books and all the anti-drag laws, not even in transness, mm-hmm. but anti-drag mm-hmm. laws, and it's like, okay, so how are you touring in Memphis, Tennessee, mm-hmm. when it's technically illegal, but also you don't face the repercussions. There we go. Of, like the law is not applicable to you. He probably ain't even mm-hmm. thinking about it, and mm-hmm. neither is the people that are selling out his comedy shows. Mm-hmm. And not why is about that? It. And why? 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 This isn't necessarily a question for you. This is a question that I hope you know that people are wrestling with themselves at home when they hear these things articulated, right? Which is why? Why is that? Why can that be? Why can Medea and Tyler Perry be? the RuPaul of the church, Mm -hmm. and not have to contend, at least publicly, with the ways in which drag, which is what they are doing, Mm -hmm. is being banned across the country. Do you think it is because it's rooted in comedic purposes? People don't view it as drag versus if you're lip syncing Donna Summer? (laughs) I think that people have a very Mm. narrow definition of drag and that pertains, you know, throwing on a bodysuit and doing the single ladies routine and collecting tips. I don't think people interpret mm. drag as as what Martin Lawrence mm-hmm. or what mm-hmm. uh, Tyler Perry or, mm-hmm. you know, these influencers are doing. I don't I don't think that that's how they interpret it, mm. even though that is indeed like by definition what it is. Mm. You're there. They are drag performers. Tyler Perry is a drag performer. <laughs> he is. He is a drag performer. <laughs> And I often wonder how the church might have reacted if Tyler Perry was an openly gay mm-hmm. man. But because he's heterosexual mm-hmm. and has, you know, his mm-hmm. child and I don't mm-hmm. know, he's not married, is he? I don't believe so, no. Okay, well, he has this baby and, you know, he's very philanthropic. I wonder if Tyler Perry still had those exact same qualities. Mm-hmm. You know, saving Harry and Meghan and best friends mm-hmm. with Oprah and were a gay man if the conversation would be different amongst well, the black church in those bootleg DVDs. Listen... That is a that is a great question. I mean, we do know how the black church has treated 
people who were notable folks in gospel music, for example, or in music more generally, um, and how we we don't we don't talk about the sexualities of oh no. Not even the choir director, you know, up there swishing of, of the, the choir director of some of your favorite, you know, gospel artists, gospel titans, gospel legends. We fall down, but we get up. My God, today, um, you you see what I'm saying? Like we 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 me saying we as the black church. Look at that, my God, you can't never get away. You can never get. You we, can't never both, get away. We're both church kids. We should mention. Oh, absolutely, we are. In case are. y'all didn't know, you know, uh, we. Uh, I grew up in the church. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Heavy, <sighs> heavy, heavy. Um, but there is something to be said, you know, about about how it's just never addressed. It's just never addressed, and and part of me just feels like, part of me is like, okay, there's a world and there's a way where like this isn't necessarily your conversation right like yes as your work you are you are doing drag i do believe that but there's all these other like associated ramifications to drag in the club or drag mm. queen story hour I mean, i should say perceived ramifications i guess because they they're not trying to ban robin williams as mrs doubtfire no they aren't trying Tootsie. to ban Tootsie, right? Who was that? Dennis Quaid? Um, no, that wasn't Dennis Quaid. Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. And they're not trying to ban Medea. I think a function of Medea as well is, you know how she put the stories with a nice little bow. It's yeah. always some Hallelujah. And I also, as you were speaking, I was thinking about when you have the endorsement of others, right? Mm. So you have Medea with the slapstick comedy, but Medea is surrounded by talented actors mm-hmm. and actresses and singers. And it's kind of, it almost makes me think of like a groupthink experiment. Well, if they're okay with it and working alongside this person and giving us this content, mm. then why should I object? Cheryl Pepsi Riley Cheryl got Pepsi she Riley. got pipes. Why should I object? That uh-huh. is one of my favorite songs in, in the in the play or whatever. So I wonder if it's also a function of the group thinkness of it all. Mm. Like you know, Medea's fine with these people, and then also sometimes talent outweighs everything. Like these people are extremely talented yeah. on yeah. those Chitlin Circuit type you know plays Absolutely. and musicals. Like extremely talented and so I wonder because I oftentimes even as you were talking about like the gospel titans these people are the people that the black church has kind of turned and uh, mm-hmm. the head to and not address it it's because the talent has outweighed yeah they're pretty conservative in their private yeah. life and their presentation they ain't running ripping and running yeah. these streets being all public <laughs> and kissing and listen let God the, be true quickly they are very talented in their message and I wonder if that is what the defining mm. piercing moment is and people People haven't really sat down to critically think about that. Mm. Well, get to thinking, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna take a little break. Wait, but really quickly before we go to break, I think it's worth noting, and I don't know if this—I know that this speaks inherently to patriarchy, mm-hmm. but like we never see women doing this for men. Like we never really see mm. women dressing up as men. And I wonder if it would, well, I know it would be received differently. It wouldn't mm. nearly be as popular. Well, I will say I do love, there's an influencer. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I wish I could remember her name. I think it's Mel, Mi- Mel Mitchell. Mm. And she does the podcast with Quan Dietrich. 
She does like the misogynistic podcast. She has like a series on her TikTok where she imitates, you know, these whole like Andrew Tate-esque, Kevin yes. Samuels-esque alpha male, yes. you know, harmful and yes. oftentimes just flat out stupid. I like to hang out at like Applebee's late May, early June so I could catch the girls who graduate from high school coming to celebrate with their families. So I get them around 18 or almost 18. You know, it's a perfect age. Because once they turn 21, they old. I enjoy her content, but I wonder, I guess because the landscape isn't crowded with women mm-hmm. doing that, what is that a function of? Because the landscape is overcrowded with men dressing Absolutely. up as women. Yeah. I think of that, and then I also think about the the women who have women characters right like yes. who are who are just you know embodying a different type of 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 woman character and i think of both of those in comparison to if you will the the guys who are dressing up as women and the seemingly greater success and attention and adoration and awards it's not and, seemingly that's a fact it, <laughs> you know the 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 guys who are dressing up as the, as these women characters are are getting those things but the the women who are dressing up as men and the women who are dressing up as other women and have these characters aren't i just thought about speaking of tyler perry and i know we have to go but uh how tyler perry definitely like kept the door open behind him mm. because in that last play that he did he employed tt the guy that mm-hmm. plays the character of tt mm-hmm. who's another cis i believe het mm. man who's been playing this character for years, years at this, this point. like very ghetto mm-hmm. blue hair stereotypical round runaway girl banji boots you know type <laughs> girl named tt and tyler perry employed this man mm-hmm. you know to play that character opposite mm-hmm. really of medea in that final play and which so, is interesting right yeah it's and we so know we know that this would not be a this would not be if these were trans women mm-hmm or non-binary trans people, mm-hmm. we I feel like we can safely say yeah. as we go to break that it would mm-hmm. not be received nearly the same. There's I think there's something to be said about taking it off and being a man. Yeah, that makes it inherently okay with people, and I don't know why that's in the subconscious of this of 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 how we move socially. It's mm-hmm. very strange. Mm-hmm. It's very if if Tyler Perry where Taisha Perry, mm-hmm. the trans woman from New Orleans, mm-hmm. back in the day doing the exact same stuff. This is why I need everything everywhere all at once to be a, a real <laughs> option. Because I want to see that timeline, you know? <laughs> I want to see that reality. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. Mm, that's good. Something to think about as we Something go to definitely to think about. All right, y'all. Well, you all want to stick around because Trayvell and I have more great show for you coming up after this. (laughs) So grab a snack and come Mm -hmm. on back. (laughs) (laughs) We see each other. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Jarrett Hill. And I'm Trayvell Anderson. And we want to know, have you ever had mixed feelings about the things that you love? Ooh, maybe about the things that you hate? 
then Fantai is the show for you. Fantai is the podcast for all those complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives. You might have conflicting feelings about Kamala Harris or mm-hmm. propaganda or mm-hmm. interracial friending. Mm-hmm. That's all right, because we do too. And we get into it every single Thursday. Catch this Slayworthy audio at MaximumFun.org. That's MaximumFun.org slash Fantai. That's F-A-N-T-I. Come get all this good good. Or this great great. We see each other. Welcome back to We See Each Other, the podcast. I'm Char Jocelle. And I'm Trayvell Anderson. As we mentioned before, we're going to get into an interview with Trace Lissette about her new movie called Monica. A couple weeks ago, Char and I had the esteemed pleasure of attending the L.A. premiere of this film. It stars Trace Lissette as well as Patricia Clarkson. It did very well with audiences on the film festival circuit. You'll hear us get into it in the interview. But now the movie is in theater, so you can check it out yourself. Shar and I got the chance to speak with Trace, I think it was a week or so before the movie yes, hit theaters. Yes, and I'd already seen it. I should mention it. that was my second time seeing it because I had screened it. And so it's a totally different experience watching it on a big screen version. Versus the MacBook or or the TV, mm-hmm. you know, the fifty seven inch TV in in the home. <laughs> um, but one thing that struck me from our conversation was how much effort Trace goes through to promote this film and like the ups and the downs of mm-hmm. actually what it was like filming. You know, they shot it in Cincinnati, which which is just forty five minutes south of where Trace grew up in Dayton, Ohio. So let's take a listen to that conversation. Trace, thanks for joining of us. Of course. What do you think Monica as a film does differently than previous stories that folks might have seen with a trans woman at the center? Well, uh, thanks for having me, first of all. And I think that last part you said, having a trans woman at the center is just, that's extremely rare, period. Um, especially mm-hmm. playing a title character. I don't even know the last time I saw that, um, if at all. And so for me, it was really just about that. When I got the script, I thought, oh, okay, she's at the center of this story. It's through her lens. Um, It was pretty linear in terms of like, it was about her journey with her family, specifically her mother. Um, But the thing that I clung to the most was humanity and how you know people get to see that we're just like everybody else and um managing family and um i guess the part that i think it does differently if i could say that is that uh there are no preachy moments there is no abcing Mm -hmm. it for the audience you really have to use your brain and rely on the internal dialogue that's going on to, to kind of understand what's happening here between her and her mother and what may be going on through her mind about her own life at the same time. Um, it's just a delicate film. It's very delicate and it is not dialogue heavy. Um, and I think that's kind of what was done differently. Yeah, thanks for speaking to that, Trace, because, you know, I have had the esteemed privilege and pleasure of screening (laughs) Monica a while back. And it really is one of a kind, the first of its kind that I've seen as far as a prestige film that centers 
a trans woman. I'm interested in mm. knowing, because I know you and I have had some personal conversations, you know, down to the red cup. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I'm interested in knowing how important is it for you, was for you as a actress and as an entertainer, um, how important was it for you to have a story like this that did normalize, and I'm using air quotes when I say normalize, because I know that that's subjective to everyone, but how important is it was it for you to normalize the trans experience in that way? And when I say in that way, I mean in that we see Monica making a cup of coffee, putting on her pants one leg at a time like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. How important was it for, for you? Mm. I, I'm for anything that gets us closer to the masses seeing our humanity because, um, I think all of that is tied to what we're going through right now, like with all the legislation that's going on, all the hate that we're dealing with that is just seems to be amplified right now. Um, I think seeing some of those ordinary things, like making a cup of coffee, putting on your pants, having a drink, getting fucked in a truck, like all of those things, in a way, they're just ordinary things that <laughs> humanize humanize us like, like anybody else. Um, and I don't think that there's, I don't know that there's a quicker way for people to understand us as human than to be able to see things like that, that they can relate to. Um, I feel like that's the bridge is just for them to see themselves in us is like how we kind of can dead a lot of this, this kind of mm -hmm. break and this hate that we're going through right now. Mm -hmm. When the film premiered at Venice, um, I believe it was an 11 minute standing ovation oh, yes. that you and the film uh, <laughs> received, um, which for the people listening who don't know, right, the standing ovations is like, you know, a way that like the industry like, you know, says that they really enjoyed something that they really liked to perform mm -hmm. into whatever. And the longer the standing ovation, um, the better. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever stood up on your feet for 11 minutes, um, but that's a long time. That's a lot of love. I'd love to hear you share, Trace, just kind of how that felt for you mm. being in that moment, um, having the career that you've had in this industry, which you have spoken at length about. How did it feel to be in that moment? It was um a lot for me. I, I was kind of out of body. I mean, I found out later that I guess at the 11 and a half mark, the ushers actually came in and told us to leave because they needed the theater for the next film. Ooh. So the people, the people <laughs> were going to keep clapping. And, and I didn't know that, but um, it was still a long time to be standing there. But uh, mm -hmm. at, at a certain point, I kind of went somewhere else and, was, I mean, literally saw flashes of my life from other parts of my life when I felt less seen, less safe. Um, mm -hmm. When I was a working girl down in the village, I mean, I, I went to the bathroom directly after and I sat on the toilet and I boo-hooed because I didn't really understand um, what this moment meant. Like, I knew it was prestigious and I knew it was Venice and I knew that, okay, maybe this is a seal of approval that we made a good piece of art. Great, that's wonderful. But what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me mm -hmm. and my girls? Um, 
will this translate to success? Will this translate to even getting distribution? Because we didn't have it that at that time. Um, you know, will, will, will me and my writing partner, Devere, get to like start our production company and tell marginalized stories for the broader um, trans community and, and just marginalized folks in general, which has always been our dream. Um, what, what is that? What does 11 and a half minutes of people clapping in your face in a foreign country mean? What does that mean? You know? Mm -hmm. And I sat there with that and thought about me and my journey, my journey with my own family, my journey as a working girl in the village in the, in the, you know, early 2000s as a non-binary person in the 90s, you know, like what is all, what is all this led up to this and what does this mean? That's so that I was really overwhelmed, but it was really beautiful. Um, it was an intense day. It was an unforgettable day, probably one of the most beautiful days of my life, but also a lot of question marks were left in the air for me. So Trace, you know, this isn't your first rodeo, so to speak. You've been a working actor for as long as I've known you. Okay, I've seen you on David Makes Man. I've seen you on Transparent. I'm interested in knowing at this stage of your career, with this, with this film, it, it's about to be monumental, you know, once it hits. What does this mean for someone like you personally? And, you know, and because Trayvill's book is all about trans representation in and of the media, you know, uh, throughout the years. And so I'm interested in knowing for you as a woman, what does this mean? Mm. What does this moment mean? Uh, I don't know if I have the answer to that because I don't hold the cards. I mean, I'm kind of at the mercy of Hollywood and how they see me after this. I know that I did the best I could in showcasing my craft um, and that I was prepared and I left my mm -hmm. soul in Cincinnati that summer when we shot this movie. Um, I, I can tell you what I hope. I hope they see me as a leading lady, not just a trans leading lady, but a leading lady. Um, I hope they see me as a formidable actor who can carry a project, who can get projects financed, who is also an EP on this project. And um, I can wear multiple hats and that um, I've done the work. I hope that's what they see. I hope that, I hope abundance is around the corner. I hope that I don't have to live gig to gig anymore. And mm -hmm. that there's a series that will allow me to feel financially free. <laughs> so let's be honest, that's where the money is. It's in TV right now. Um, but access and opportunity are the, are the two things I hope for the most because then, you know, it, it doesn't stop with me. It's always like, okay, well, how do I craft, how do I craft, you know, more stories for, for more of us and get my friends in the door as well and just make beautiful art with the people I care about the most. One of the things that I love about what you're saying is that the way you go about articulating kind of, you know, your desires around storytelling and, and security, like doing the work that you want to do, it's not new. Um, I remember I interviewed you when I worked at Out Magazine um, after The Hustlers premiere in Toronto. Yes. Um, and you spoke even then about like just wanting to act 
basically. Like, just wanting to tell the stories that you were interested in telling. Um, and so we've been having this, like, visibility, trans-visibility representation conversation for a little minute now. I want to ask you about the journey of this film post-Venice because you, you crowdfunded support to be able to get uh, a publicity team. You were very open on social media about the struggles that y'all were having as a film to, to even, you know, get the distribution and get the support to get the coverage that that moment in Venice might lead one to believe that you all should be mm. getting. And I'm wondering how that journey for you, like what that journey tells you about where the industry supposedly is mm -hmm. as it relates to these conversations. And I will jump out there first and say, one would think that you all should not have had to have struggled as much as you did mm -hmm. based on all of these conversations we've been having for, you know, at least the last five years. But how do you come to that? I can't say I was surprised by any of it. I, like you, I, I would think that, well, if you go to Venice and they only take 20 films a year, it's the oldest film festival in the world, and you get a 11 and a half minute standing ovation and 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, maybe you should have distribution within the week, right? It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a blow. And I felt like, well, uh, do I run the risk of being the loud tranny again and getting on socials and telling people what we're up against? Oh, or do I just sit quiet and just let it all unfold? And I, I just didn't know if I was gonna get another shot like this. So I spoke my piece calmly at certain times on socials and and yeah one of them was 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 crowdfunding for for a proper publicist because I can't afford one and that was hard but also free, liberating in a weird way so in hindsight I'm, I'm glad that I'm just like no I've always been a fighter I am a fighter it is what it is I'm not just gonna lay down and let something pass us by without at least being transparent about what is going on. I remember speaking on my stories about how when we were in Venice, there was no coverage about our standing ovation, which was the longest of the festival at the time it happened, by the mainstream press. It wasn't until Out Magazine wrote about it that we got any kind of blurb about it. And it was... A lot of the coverage that particular day was going towards Spitgate with Harry Styles and Chris Pine. And that's what mm -hmm. the variety, variety and Hollywood Reporter and everybody deemed worthy to write about that day instead of this historic moment for trans people and for our film. And um, that was frustrating. It was really frustrating. So I think we just keep leaning on the queer press and the people, because when the people speak, they have to listen eventually. There's a quote. I saw Whitney, had a, Whitney Houston had a quote the other day. Um, 
She was talking about I'm Your Baby Tonight back in the, I guess it was the late 80s and how MTV wouldn't even mm -hmm. play it. And at a certain point, she was like, well, they just had to play it. She said, because they just had to. And I love it when they have no choice. And so that <laughs> stuck with me because it reminds me of like another quote that we say in the ballroom scene. It's like, well, bitch, make them know it. Like if you're about to go out there and they don't know who you are and you're walking whatever category, make them know it. You have no choice. You got to you got to sell it. It, you know, if you don't believe it, I don't believe it. So you got to make them mm -hmm. believe it. And so I feel like I, that's kind of kind of like channeled some of that energy with this mm -hmm. project. I would love to not have to do that for the rest of my career. Um, yeah. And I'm hoping after this, maybe I won't have to. But You know, even listening to you speak, Trace, you presented a unique set of challenges, right? That you got this 91%. Um, the film got this 91% on Rotten Tomatoes and this 11 and a half minute standing ovation. And I'm interested in knowing when the goalpost keeps moving, because it's unique, but it's not unique because you just brought up like Whitney. So I'm, Black women experience it. Black people experience it. Um, trans people experience it. I'm interested in knowing what do you think has to be done? And that may be a generalized question, but like I said, the goalpost appears to keep mm. moving when we know that there are certain politics at play and yeah. certain actors and projects being uh, platformed despite you doing the work and despite the receipts being there. What do you think has to then show up just with trans representation as a whole in and around Hollywood to get people to, like you just mentioned with Whitney, you gonna have to play it. You gonna have to, it's unavoidable. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I don't know. I think it's the people. I think the power is in the hands of the people. It's going. To, it's it's going to take that. It's going to take the people saying, over and over, we want this because if there's one thing I've learned about Hollywood, uh, the higher ups, the executives, the studio heads, the decision makers. Um, They'll listen to the masses and they'll listen to fame. Uh, and so that's, I think that's our best bet, best bet, honestly. And mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know how we get there if we don't just get the people involved. Yeah. Um, I wish I had more of a concise like answer for you, but I just, I've racked my brain about that stuff for years and I really don't know. It is aggravating though when the goalpost just keeps moving and you feel like you've done everything you can do. It's not enough to make a good piece of art. It's not enough to to get into Venice. It's not enough, you know, it's just like, when is it enough? God damn, like, when is it enough? But um, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's real, me either. I don't know either, <laughs> child. None of us you know. know. None of us, if y'all if y'all listening Listen. got, Got any suggestions or any tips? Or if you have, if you feel that you have the answer, <laughs> you know where to find us on socials. Let us know. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Trace, Trace for joining yes, us. Yes, thank you both. I'm so glad I got to see you today. Be sure to go see Monica in theaters and keep up with Trace. She's on Instagram at Trace Lissette. That's T-R-A-C-E-L-Y-S-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E. 
Absolutely. Go see the movie. We need to be supporting independent movies. We need to support movies with trans leads. Let these people know that we love and want more of Trace Lissette as a leading lady. Okay. We are now going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're passing the mic, as always, to our trans siblings at the Unique Women's Center. So grab a snack and bring your booty back. (laughs) We see each other. Video games can make you laugh. They can make you cry. They can even make you sing. We're the hosts of Triple Click. It's a podcast about video games. This is an exciting time for new games from Diablo to Final Fantasy. From Starfield to Street Fighter. From Zelda to, oh, who are we kidding? We're just going to talk about (laughs) Zelda. Whether you play games or you just like hearing about them, we've got you covered. Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Welcome back, beautiful people. Before we get out of here, we want to pass the mic once more to some of the folks who we met at Unique Women's Coalition, as well as some of you all who have begun to share your thoughts with us by going to speakpipe.com slash we see each other. We've got Jaden, Queen Shannon, and Ryan. Yes, some of this audience feedback has just been my favorite favorite part. You know, I was just at the Glad Media Awards in New York City this past weekend, and there were so many people that were Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I love the show, or I listen to the show. And so I'm like, okay, you're telling me that, but you need to go down to the speak pipe and tell it that so that we can play it on the show. (laughs) (laughs) This has just been such a great experience. And so, uh, yeah, these are some of my favorite segments as I keep reiterating. I believe what's missing um, from the discourse of trans visibility would have to be more more trans people of color that are willing to be visible and embrace um, who they are, embrace their identity, and not be afraid to be open about it. Um, A lot of Black trans people like myself choose to live stealth um, because of safety reasons and just so many other reasons, but I feel like People who are out and visible, I absolutely love that. I think it's very important to always know your history, first and foremost. I think it's also important to to give respect to your elders. A lot of our young community are not receptive to our elders. And sometimes it goes both ways because our elders are not, you know, they don't want to be in the leadership role anymore. They're not willing to help the younger people. So I'm, I'm hoping that my younger siblings are able to strive with the history that they have learned from, from their ancestors. My mother showed me Boys Don't Cry as a child as a way to probably to scare me, to try to scare away the, the gender things. There was this person, I can't remember his name right now, but he was on Jerry Springer. And it was one of those episodes of like, you will never know. I think it was like, they were telling their cis women partners that they were trans. And he had like a suit and was bald and like really cute. And I was like, what? Like, what? You could do, you would what? How? You could look like that? What it did at the time for those people people on that show, I think it gave them a, a platform to say something and to share. I think a lot of us started to see ourselves. And I think Jerry Moore, I think they were foul for the way they did it. 
and they knew what they were doing. Uh, and I think the people who went on the show also knew what they were doing. I don't think it was like a surprise that people were like, what? You know, they knew. I remember being younger and never seeing trans people in media except as a joke or as a sight gag and always thinking that that meant there was something wrong with me or that I was broken or that I was meant to be isolated and alone in the world. And so every time now that I see other trans people in anything or read about other trans characters in books, it just gives me that sense of a little bit more connectedness and this kind of broader found family of a community of other trans people. And even something as simple as just a love story involving a trans person can really help me to feel like maybe there's a chance that I could be the object of somebody's desire or love. Or just seeing a trans person who has just a regular job and is existing in life and that they're not being relegated to the sidelines or some fringe of society not to be seen or heard from. So every time I see a trans voice front and center, it matters to me because it reminds me that I belong and we belong and that we should be here more. Special thanks again to Jaden, Queen Shannon, and Riley. And if you would like to have your thoughts as part of a future episode of We See Each Other, the podcast, you can go to speakpipe.com slash we see each other. You can also find that link in the show notes. As always, keep up with the show on Instagram at Slayzhon. That's S-L-A-Y-Z-H-O-N. And you can buy We See Each Other, the book, wherever books are sold. If you're an audiobook girl, Trayvell narrates it. And I do. It's amazing. I promise. Okay? <laughs> Our music is brought to you by the incomparable never-ending Nina. Check her out wherever you get music. Our producer is Palmira Muniz. And Laura Swisher is our senior producer. This podcast is supported by Critical Minded, an initiative to invest in cultural critics of color, co-founded by the Nathan Cummings Foundation and the Ford Foundation. It's a production of Slay John and Maximum Fun. We see each other. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.